in today's show. We're looking at the Houston Rockets from 22-23 season. We're looking ahead to the offseason, what they've got available for them in free agency, and a recap on a bunch of players and what we can look for them for the future. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball, on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball. Download the GameTime app, create an account and use the code LockedOnNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. So... We're going to do the Houston Rockets season review. We might as well get into it because there's a lot to talk about, Warney. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> All right. The Rockets, again, were one of the worst teams in the NBA. They weren't the worst. That was the Pistons. Obviously, we did their review two days ago. The Rockets finished the year 22-60, and 60, basically the same net rating as the Pistons, slightly lower, not negative 8.6. They were 29th in the NBA in that metric. They had the 27th best offense, the 29th. Defense, always amazing to see who, man, who had a worse defense than the Rockets? Well, there was someone. We'll get to them. Um, and their best lineup, unlike the Pistons, the Pistons' best lineup was a uh, was a, a weird one. This one does consist of the guys that they started the majority of the season. Well, not the majority. The ones that when we saw the Rockets start to improve down the end of the year, this was the lineup they went with every game, basically. Kevin Porter, Jalen Green, KJ Martin, Jabari Smith, and the Delicate Dancer. Alpren Shangun. It's a delicate dance in just 17 steps. That was their best lineup using the clean the glass numbers and the clean the glass minutes filter. Cool. Like that's the one they use most of the time. Um, that was their starting lineup. That's, you know, decent. That's decent enough. Now, I was going to say that's good coaching, but we saw plenty of bad coaching from Steven Silas this season, and he's gone. It's very hard for me to, hey, what are they going to do in coaching? Who's going to sign? I don't know. Once they make a decision, in hiring a coach, then we'll analyze that and see what we can make out of it. But I would say it's very hard to be worse than what Steven Silas did for this team. We can remember, you know, hey, let's start Bruno Fernando. Let's not play Tari Eason at all. Really, or you play him as 10 minutes a game or 15 minutes a game. Guys who were legitimately impactful players. And the fact that we're going to talk about some of these other guys, some of the stuff that was lacking from this team, like he was a bad coach. And we hear so many stories leak out about the locker room and then the bad interactions between him and the GM. That's coming from the GM side as well. Like that's Rafael Stone's not immune to that criticism, but they needed to change a lot of stuff. Stone, I think, he's got to be on a little bit of a shaky ground. I think most of his moves have been fine in terms of actual general manager stuff, but obviously some of the interpersonal stuff and the butting your nose into the discussions in the coaching staff stuff is a bit odd. If they get Nick Nurse, it's going to be very, very interesting for this team. And I think that is, I, I would say that there is a less than 20% chance that Nick Nurse is back in Toronto, to be honest. But I don't know that. And we'll find out exactly where Nurse ends up. Let's look at their offseason. They could have a ton of cap space, $64 million. And there is a giant um, lap-danced sized specter out there 
who might be joining this team, and that is Jim Harden. I don't know whether that is true. I guess some of that might depend on what actually happens here in the playoffs for the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, but Harden very, very clearly loves Houston. Loves the city of Houston. Loves living in Houston. Um, he may or may not enjoy the um, uh, mammary-based entertainment sector. Not my problem. If he does, good on him. But he loves Houston. He's clearly downgrading towards the end of his career. He's he's not. He's still great. I think he still should have been in the All-NBA discussion this season as a guard, but he's dropping off. But his potential arrival on this team could change a lot. If you look at their what their free agency situation looks like, who cares? Like Frank Kaminsky is an unrestricted free agent. Did you even know he was on this team? Did you know that DJ Augustin was on this team? Or Willie Cauley-Stein was on this team? Or Boba Marjanovic? The blokes who are unrestricted free agents, nobody cares about. They are absolute nobodies. And I mean that in the kindest possible way, that they have no impact on the future of this organization whatsoever. So they will all go. No one will come back. That's that's really straightforward. The only other one there that's interesting, and he there's, there's no discussion on this, it's KJ Martin's got a $1.9 million um, team option. That will get picked up without any hesitation whatsoever. Um, so he'll be back on that contract. And they've also got Dacian Nix as a 1.8 or basic minimum salary um, that is non-guaranteed. And yeah, I thought he was pretty bad this season, even though he is a young player. He may not be back, but KJ Martin, team option, uh, undoubtedly, will return. If you look at the NBA draft, we saw the um, coin flip stuff happen yesterday. So they currently are, I say lottery odds at number two. We know, I know, I know before you make a comment, yes, all of the teams have the same odds in the top um, three to get the number one overall pick. They've all got 14%. But the the thing here with this is, is that it's the downside risk in terms of where they fit. The Rockets now can only fall down to six if they get leapfrogged by four teams into the lottery. They can fall as low as six. If they had have lost the coin flip to the Spurs, they could have fallen as low as seventh. That's the difference. It's downside risk versus upside risk. Their upside for a top four pick, for a number one overall pick, is exactly the same. 52.1% for top four, 14% for number one. But they can fall to six now instead of falling to seven. Their second round, well, they got, they got another second round, another first round pick as well. But at the moment, obviously, if they do end up at number two, which is a possibility, they you know, they could end up at one. We know that. But let's just say they're at two. That Scoot Henderson's going to be there. Yesterday's show, we looked at some of the early dynasty rookie values of players. So go check that show out as well. And then they've also got pick 20 comes from the Clippers. According to my database of mock drafts at the moment, the 20th player on that list is Derek Lively, the second. Sort of an undersized center from Duke. Are you, would they pick him or not? Who knows? Obviously, they want, want to get pick one and get Wembenyama. Could Scoot make sense on this team? Absolutely. They are not in a position where anyone on this team should be locked in. So you can say, well, what happens if Wembenyama joins? What happens to Shengun? Well, I think, first of all, Wembenyama is a four. But I think what they would do, like, is probably play Wembenyama and Jabari Smith and Shengun might come off the bench. That's fine. Or they might play Wembenyama and Shengun together and Smith might come off the bench. That's fine. If they get Scoot, does that mean the end of Kevin Porter? Yep, who cares? Like, these... Players that they could get here, Scoot or Victor, Brandon Miller would be the perfect fit because he fits an open three, but he's not at no, the, the three spot, but he's not as good as these other two guys, I don't think. So you wouldn't draft him over Victor, obviously, or, or over Scoot, I don't think. But that is some real interesting opportunities there. And then, yeah, I, I doubt they would pick Derek Lively, but if they didn't get Victor, their backup center, they've been running Ujman Garuba, who's been all right. Like, Lively might be all right behind Shengun. 
That's something to look at. And then look at this weird, complicated situation with their second round pick. Um, there's about five or six teams involved in where that pick could go. I think it'll be either 33 or it can go down to like 35, depending on. There's a bunch of swaps. Anyway, they've got an early second round pick at the moment at pick 33. It will be Trace Jackson Davis, who does translate well fantasy wise, but he is quite an older player. Um, we will get. We'll answer the questions that we had from listeners later on. We'll get to that in a second. Today's episode is brought to you by Ultimate Basketball GM. It's a great game because you guys love fantasy. You love manipulating rosters and trading and signing, and now you can do it for free. You can do it without being online, and you do it on your phone. Build your team up. Assemble it like a GM. Coaches, training staffs, training schedules, draft picks, free agents, trades. You do it all, and you build your team up to be the best team you can and win that Title, navigate your franchise through free agency, dealing with challenging personalities, players, or coaches, and try to get yourself the best team. I know you're going to love it. It's a realistic and challenging game world. Ultimate Pro Basketball GM is completely free, playable offline, on the go, when you want, when you want, where you want, wherever you want, however you want. You know what I mean? Locked On Fantasy Basketball listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo Locked On in the game store. So make sure to check it out. Download the game. Go to probasketballgm.com. Scan the code that's on your screen or look it up on the app store. That's probasketballgm.com. Ultimate Basketball GM is the game. Start your dynasty today. That's a great idea to start your dynasty today. Let's look at the players. Have the Rockets started a dynasty? No. But let's talk about what's going on here because we are going to start with old mate, cousin Kevin Porter Jr., who was a guy that I we talked about this last week when I was looking at my fantasy sleepers. I was big on him. He's stupid. Why is his ADP so low? 111th. This is ridiculous. You need to draft him. I draft him everywhere. And it paid off. In uh, On a per-game basis, he was 55th. Pretty good. 82nd on, on totals. Now, he did have some weird issues with a consistently bruised thigh. That happened numerous times. So he didn't play a huge amount of games. 59 games. In his minus one rank, he was 57th. His points league rank, he was 49th. He just smashed ADP everywhere. He put up pretty strong numbers. Now, I am very much of the opinion that Kevin Porter is not necessarily a guy that you want to build around. I don't think that he's a guy that is long-term as a starting point guard on this team or in the future. I don't think any of that necessarily. But when I was doing the research to prepare for this show, I looked at a lot of his advanced numbers, a lot of his numbers went, oh, oh, they're actually pretty good. So... Maybe he is interesting as a longer-term player. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't know. He's 23 years of age, 59 games, 34 minutes, 24 usage. That's not blowing it out with 28, 29 usage. 24 usage is okay. He averaged 19 points, two and a half threes, five rebounds, almost six assists, and 1.4 steals. That's a really, really strong fantasy contribution. It's really strong. What led him down? Well, yeah, you'd hope that the 44% shooting could push to 46. He was at 37% from three. He was 78% from the line, like a 2-3% increment there. That would push him to be a 20-point player. His usage isn't sky high, and it probably isn't ever going to be next to Jalen Green. But overall, that's really strong. And he is still only 23. I still don't fully believe in him, though. Despite all of this and all of the advanced numbers, EPM, 77th percentile, plus 0.6. <clears throat> 80th percentile in, in uh, estimated wins, 4.9. That's a huge number. Darko, plus 0.6, 107, 107th in the league. LeBron was the only one that was really down on him as an advanced metric, negative 0.69. And people go, hey, what do all these numbers mean? Just go and look them up, right? Like, it's very hard for me to explain everything in complete depth in one of these shows. EPM, you go from the site Dunks and Threes. Darko from 
Darko is the name of the site. Just look at Darko Basketball Metric. And LeBron is from Basketball Index. And they'll explain their methodology how to get there. They're all basically per 100 possession impact numbers. So when you see 0.6, it's like Kevin Porter produces 0.6 points, 100 possessions as an individual player, as an impact. Yeah, 0.6 in Darko is the same thing. LeBron gives him like a negative, but plus 0.49 estimated wins is he adds five wins a season for a team. The thing that I'm very interested in is look at that graph for his Darko numbers, which Darko is the only one of these advanced metrics, which is forward projecting. So it takes the numbers and says, what have you done? But also, how do we translate this? And as the seasons have gone on from like midway last year, Kevin Porter's production keeps going up and up and up and up. Continuing to push into being a positive player. Negative for so long. And then a big, big continual push up, which again is predicting some push up moving forward and some positive production from him moving forward, which I thought was really interesting. Not a huge amount to look from his fantasy points graph here. You can see the big gap where he missed games in the middle. But he was just fairly strong, and a lot of his production, um, not all of it, but a lot of his production was tied to minutes. You can see that bit before the injury where there's some pretty big games in low minutes. Overall, I think it was a pretty strong season from Kevin Porter. And we look at his um, EPM graph, like solid stuff here, got injured, and then continued to improve as the season went on. Again, I don't really think that you can ask a huge amount more from what he did, given the circumstances. Yes, they don't run plays that well. But I don't think it can be argued that he was significantly better this season, I think, than Jalen Green. Uh, that's this season. Whether that holds in the future, I don't know. Or he's significantly better than, say, Jabari Smith this season. Whether he was better than the next guy we're going to talk about, I'm not sure. But there is a pretty interesting correlation between these next two guys. And I've already played his sound drop, so I'm not going to do it again. But let's talk about the delicate dancer, Alperen Sengun, who was obviously dicked over quite a bit by some horrible coaching early on with Bruno Fernando starting over him with Shengun playing weird minutes off the bench, with Shengun being limited for fake foul trouble situations or poor defense situations when, honestly, he was their best player for significant stretches of the season. Towards the end of the year, we saw some big pickups in the production, all of the production, the minutes of Shengun. But one thing, I look, let's go through all these basics here. 57th in categories. Now, he was a guy that started in a lot of mock drafts I was doing, started getting picked in 48 or 52, and I went, oh, I like Shengun, but I reckon you might be just... Going a little bit too high. If I can get him in the 70s, I love it. In the end, his ADP was 67th. He was drafted in 100% of leagues. And he, and he beat it. He beat it in basically all formats. Look at his minus one rank for totals, 40th. Minor, uh, category rank totals, 38th. 57th per game, 62nd per game in minus one. 60th in points, 41st in points total. Beat it. Right, really strong. Could have been better as well. But I am worried. Because again, if they do get Victor... Do they play Victor and Smith together as the as the starters? Where does Shengun fit? It's a really tough thing to work out. Now, he's super young. He's not even 21. He's 20, 20 and a half. He plays 75 games, 29 minutes, 21 usage. Minutes can very easily jump. Usage could jump as well. He averaged 15 points, 0.3 triples, 9 rebounds, 4 assists, 0.9 steals, 0.9 blocks, shot 55, 33, 72. He'd start off the season shooting horribly from three as well, so that improved. The free throws are iffy. The overall efficiency is strong. He obviously turns the ball over quite a bit as well. That will improve, but he's also an interesting player in terms of the way he's able to um, thrive as a guy with a ball in his sense. And that's what I wanted to get to. You can look at his Darko. Uh, well, look, actually, look at his EPM stuff here. Plus 0.8, 78th percentile, huge. Estimated wins, 82nd percentile, 5.5 wins, more impactful than Kevin Porter. Darko didn't love him though. Negative 0.7, which I thought was interesting. That's 239th. But LeBron did like him. Compared to starters, he was in the 67th percentile, 1.47. But if you look at that graph, 
you'll see there's a, a big spike in the middle of the season, huge spike in his Darko numbers. And overall, his trend line stayed pretty similar. But that spike was when Kevin Porter was out. And when Kevin Porter was out, they basically played Shangun like Jokic. And they said, you're our point guard. Run everything. His assist was averaging like six, seven a game. And he was dominating, I thought. I thought he was unbelievable in that stretch. But then when Kevin Porter came back, as you can see towards the end of that graph, sort of faded away. And that's where we run into the problem with Shangun. Is for him to be his optimized self, I feel like he needs to be a point guard. Like, or a, or a complete offensive initiator. Because he thrived, advanced stats, loved him. Fantasy production, loved him. We'll go and have a look at his um, you know, uh, fantasy points graphs. Look at these big spikes here when Porter was out. And then it dropped back off. He got more usage. He got more distribution. He was great. Advanced numbers, fantasy numbers all jumped in that point of the season. And that's where the concern is. If Victor comes, if Scoot comes, if Porter's there, does the strength of Shengun, and we, we have a fair idea that they don't value him as a key piece, like how is it going to get realized? That's the tough part. Again, look at this graph. Look at his EPM. Just rising, rising, rising. Peaks in the middle of the season when Porter's out. Porter comes back, it drops way off. And it did start to spike again at the end of the season where they started to figure out a little bit of chemistry, which was encouraging. But that there's like there's some of my worries with Shengun. I definitely have some worries about how they view him and how he can be successful moving forward. Because again, they're going to add another piece. Are they going to move on from Porter? Is it Scoot that's there? How does Scoot work in terms of ball handling and ball hogging the way that Green and Porter do? If Victor's not going to be that sort of guy, but he's going to be a usage player and then he takes sort of positional minutes away at times as well. So there are there are some concerns that I have with Shengun. So we're talking dynasty. He's super young. There is plenty of value here. We can see like the way that the, some of the values are able to peak for him. He is super young, but I get the feeling that there's almost no scenario where this team gets a top three pick and they're, and they're probably going to get one of those where there's not a situation where Shengun struggles a bit early on. And it might be a case where they still figure things out all of next season. Shengun's numbers either plateau or decrease a little bit. And then a little bit of a buy low window might open up for Dynasty. That's sort of, I don't know that yet. But he could obviously, year three, age 21, he could just blow the bloody doors off. He could go crazy, right? He could. But I think there's a lot of things that would need to happen for that to be the case. Guys, games are on. You want to get tickets? Well, I've got an easy, no-hassle way for you to buy tickets to your favorite events. It shouldn't be stressful. It should be easy. And that is exactly what game time brings. Flash deals, last-minute tickets, easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area. You can go on there, check out images of what the view is like from that seat. The low price guarantee is there. You've got event cancellation protection as well. Job loss protection. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals for tickets in football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, whatever. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or row for less, game time will credit you 110, 110% of the difference. Get images of your seat before you buy, buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone so you don't have to dig through your emails. Download the game time app, create an account, use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, Create an account and redeem the code Locked On NBA for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right. Obi, do you want to come up?
He's down here on the floor. Don't know if he does. We'll see. Anyway, let's look at the Filipino legend here, Jalen Green, because it was a very disappointing season. And I was very interested in what Green did the second half of his rookie season. And I thought we'd carry some of that over. And we didn't really. 142nd in category leagues. Even if you take away worst category, which is what the minus minus one rank gives you, he jumps to 121st. Now, on totals, great. 74th totals minus one, which... I think minus one is a better representation of overall category league value. And I'm not a big fan of totals as a, as a thing, but you know, 74th, pretty good. 106th in just category league totals, fine. Points leagues, 70th overall, 47th in totals. So why the big discrepancy between categories and, and Yahoo points? Well, Yahoo points is so, so heavily influenced by what you do scoring-wise. And if you have bad efficiency, lack defensive stats, it doesn't matter. And that's why when you look at that, you go, oh, he was actually great as a pick if you drafted him ADP 68. He finished 70th. That's what more could you want? And that's in points leagues. But the fact that he hurt you so much in category leagues in multiple areas, which again is not the minus one shows you get a boost, but you'd probably have to do a minus three or a minus four for him to live up to ADP. It was pretty disappointing. He's only 21. It's not the greatest ecosystem for him to succeed for sure, but he's also a part of that ecosystem. 76 games, 34 minutes, 28 usage. He averaged 22 points with two and a half threes. That's a fantastic start to a good fantasy line. But then it goes off the rails. 3.7 rebounds, 3.7 assists, 0.8 steals, 0.2 blocks. That Ryan Anderson level of defensive stats, it hurts. You would hope that he's able to push into a Donovan Mitchell level of assist numbers, four and a half, five. Um, And you would just hope we get like 22 is strong. But if this is your game, you need to be Bradley Beal. You need to be Donovan Mitchell and average 28. And he couldn't because he shot 42%, 34 from three, and 79 from the line. Just bad efficiency numbers. EPM didn't like him really at all. Negative 1.3, that's 52nd percentile. His estimated wins were fine, plus 2.8. Darko hated him, negative 0.9. LeBron hated him as well, 17th percentile compared to starters. That's a negative 1.07. But again, if we look at the Darko graph of future projection, shocking to start his career. Big increase towards the end of last season. And despite us looking at and go, well, did he actually improve much? Well, Darko suggests he's continuing to improve. Still not anywhere near the baseline of being a average player. He's not quite there yet, but he is improving. And that is encouraging. His fantasy points numbers were strong. Again, he did put up some pretty solid numbers here in the middle of the year when Porter was out, but he was able to maintain a fairly similar role. The problem with Jalen Green is just feels like it's just efficiency. Like, that's it, really. That's the big... Like, yes, defensive stats. Not sure they ever come. Big assist numbers. Actual volume scoring. 22 versus 28 is, is a big difference, but that's where he needs to get to. It can come. He is 21, right? He's still got a lot of room to grow. And if we look at his EPM graph over here, like, it's it's fairly solid. There's not huge big speak, peaks and troughs. It's solid enough around that sort of average league mark. Fine bit of a decline towards the end of the season, but so much of this is defense and so much of it is efficiency problems. So while I'm definitely not going to be drafting Jalen Green in round six or round seven, I don't think I'll be seven, maybe again, it's going to be really dependent on your team. You've got to punt field goals at this point, but there is no reason that a player heading into year three can't go from 22 to 26 points. Can't go from 41.7 shooting up to 46. A guy can't go from 78 free throws to 83 free throws, and he can't go from three and a half assists to four and a half assists. And all of those things together, which seem like, hey, it's a lot, but it's not. It's not that much. 
they could all just jump and push him to top 50. It's possible. The problem could be is Scoot. Like Scoot jumping on this team, a usage guy, ball in his hands, um, probably does hurt Jalen. And if Scoot shows that he's better than Jalen immediately, then where does he where does he go? As an inefficient scorer that's not bumping 32 usage, that's where you run into some problems with Green's game is it needs a lot. It needs a lot of volume with what we've seen from his fantasy profile so far, and he's not really there. That's part of the issue. So I do think there is a little bit of a buy low happening for Dynasty. He's 21. He's heading into year three. It was a shit season for Jalen. But there are a few positive indicators there. Yeah. This one was... I was in on him as a guy to pick in the 70s or 80s generally. And it didn't work out for Jabari Smith at all. He was 154th in category leagues. He's a guy that shot so well at Auburn. Now we had no... Absolutely no confusion whatsoever when talking about Jabari Smith thinking he's a high usage player. That's why I thought it's actually a good fit in Houston. He he didn't get his college numbers on 30 usage, like Johnny Davis did, you know, 38 usage. He didn't get that. He sort of played a role where he fit into the flow and was still good. And we thought, oh, he can actually do this in Houston. Like fitting Paolo into Houston was a tougher thing. Like, where did the touches come from? Who loses out? How do, What sort of power battle do we get? But Jabari just couldn't hit shots. Yes, it hurt that the coaches said, you're never getting a play run for you. Just be a complete afterthought. That's, again, horrendous coaching. And some of his defensive stuff, I thought he was good, but not absolutely elite defensively. Now, Obi's decided he wants to come up and talk about Jabari Smith. But there were a couple of okay signs. Not, not great, but okay. 154th in category leagues, um, 151st in minus one. 123rd in points leagues, drafted at ADP of 105. Again, I'll gladly admit it. I picked him higher than that, and it was wrong. He's still not not 20. He's about to turn 20. He is younger than Armin Thompson. He's younger than Asir Thompson. He's younger than Brandon Miller. All guys who might be drafted in the um, in the draft for by the Rockets. He's younger than them by you know, three four months. It's worth worth remembering. He's basically the age of rookies coming in. Or well, some of the rookies coming in. He played 79 games in 31 minutes. 18 usage. He'll never, I don't think, be a 26 usage guy. He might get to 22 in his career. He averaged 13 points, one and a half, three, seven rebounds. Love the rebound numbers. But the part of the issue is he had great steal and block numbers at Auburn, and they didn't translate. 0.5 steals, 0.9 blocks. Didn't translate. 41% shooting, 31 from three, 39, 79 from the line. That's encouraging, the shooting, free throw shooting. The other stuff, dreadful. I would not be shocked on a team with no direction, bad coaching, weird teammates. I wouldn't be surprised if things change and he shoots 37% from three, 48, 47. He was a bad field goal guy at Auburn, like, you know, not like a 55 guy, but true shooting was strong, but his overall field goal was low. But if he was 47, 37, 80 next season, no surprise. That takes the 13 points to 16 points. Let's say 16 and eight, two triples. Maybe we get 1.2 blocks if he plays more center. He might not. That That's probably the real disappointing thing is that, yes, a lot of rookies struggle with shooting, but why couldn't he get any defensive stats? And he got a lot of them in college. That was That's the concern is they just weren't there. Advanced numbers didn't love him at all. 28th percentile for estimated wins, 31st for EPM, the 452nd ranked player in Darko, 5th percentile compared to NBA starters for LeBron, all shocking. And that graph is bad for the Darko graph, but encouraging because as you see, 
sort of all over the place start, a little hot stretch there, some really low stuff, and then a continual improvement and going up. That's encouraging. And the, and it ties into fantasy points. You see some improvement towards the end, some bigger games over the last 25% of the season, which is what you want to see. It doesn't necessarily, as we've seen with Jalen Green, doesn't necessarily indicate big stuff next season, but it's better than the opposite. It's better than getting worse as the season goes on. And by the way, remember this when people lie to you about the rookie wall. The vast majority of rookies get better as the season goes on. Yes, some players will get worse. But if you're going to create a narrative phenomenon of, well, they're just going to hit the rookie wall, it doesn't exist. As a general rule, people will do it. But when the vast majority of rookies get better as the season goes on, I find it really hard for you to say that the rookie wall is a reliable narrative because it just isn't true. Let's look at his EPM again. Had this really low stretch around February, pushed way up towards the end of the season. Had a bit of a drop-off, but just encouraging again to see some improvement there for Jabari towards the end of the season. Let's look at Tari rookie season now because a guy that people absolutely Dutch-rutted in the preseason, we saw big stuff from him. He was great. As a summer league guy, we love these translations coming out of LSU. Um, great in summer league, great in preseason. But I think I, I probably got sucked in a little bit with it, but I did try to push back a lot. And I said, look, I, I don't know how he's getting the minutes. I don't know how he's getting enough minutes to do this. I know that he's good. I'm seeing what he's doing. But yeah, you get a lot of reactionary takes like, well, he's so good. How can they keep him off the court? Well, easily. We saw it. They kept him off the court. But I ended up getting to a stage where I was like, okay, at 120, I'll pick him. 110, no problem. I'll try it out. But the difference between that and someone reaching at 100 or going at 90 is that when I see something happening in the regular season, I go, oh, I'll see you later. Like, it's not happening. So much needs to change for us to get this to work. And it didn't. 164th in category leagues. Good volume. 114th in totals. 172nd in points leagues, so better in categories and points. He was drafted at 839 and only 39% drafted. So a lot most casual leagues didn't draft him, which is interesting. He is 21 and a half, older, much older, one and a half years older than Jabari Smith. About the same age, or a little bit older than Jalen Green. 82 games, 22 minutes, 19 usage, 9 points, 0.73s. How did he get fantasy value? 6 rebounds, 1.1 assists, 1.2 steals, 0.6 blocks. The assists, not really. Rebounds, steals, some blocks. He shot 45, 34, 75. Totally okay numbers for a guy playing 22 minutes a night. But he was held in leagues far too long all season. We saw that they refused to play him at a small forward until the last portion of the season. He was Jabari Smith's backup all year, basically. And that just doesn't translate. People just needed to move on immediately. They can try it. You can see what they do. But as soon as they were like, we're not playing this guy in any sort of size of a role, move on. We hoped that we'd... And part of my thing, again, for him, so many people were excited about Eric Gordon's getting traded at the trade deadline. And I was like, doesn't matter. He's not playing any minutes at Eric Gordon's position. Has not at all. And basically, they just played KJ Martin there. What did improve Eason's fortunes was Jay Sean Tate's ankle problem. And then they were forced to play him at the three. I think there is he's got some value at the three, but they clearly didn't really view that. His advanced numbers were okay. They're pretty good for a rookie. Completely like 0.0 for EPM, which is 71st percentile. Estimated wins, 73rd percentile, 3.5. That's great for a rookie. Darko, negative 0.5. LeBron, positive 0.6, 55th percentile compared to starters. 
That's all awesome for a starter. And you see as the season goes on, he started out quite poorly for um, Darko, but a lot of rookies do have but really poor baseline projections and they kept going up and up and up. I think that he is a starting caliber player in the future. But is it on this team? If they get Victor, it's even worse for him because you've got Smith, Shengun, and Weman Yama all ahead of him. And again, I'm not sure they trust him to play the three. Maybe they do and they probably should. But also, is he a good enough shooter to play out there? He's a good enough defender. But... That shooting is the concern. He shot 34%, not bad, but it's very, very low volume. And he just doesn't get respected out there. He's not really a good fantasy points producer. It ties in a lot to his minutes, but you know his value for categories comes in defense. And that just doesn't matter as much in a points league. And his EPM stuff, we saw like strong numbers, good spike in the middle. And he did decrease as the season went on. He had some shocking shooting games towards the end of the season. And that dropped some of his EPM stuff down. Darko still does like the overall trend moving up, but there were some there were some drops for him towards the end of the season as he got um you know, some just some poor shooting nights really really cloggy. Now I still like Eason. I'm I'm just this team's getting a little bit cloggy with players in that position. And I, I while I disagree with the lack of playing him at times this season, I do tend to agree that he's better as much better as a four than as a three. And when Jabari's there, and you could make an argument that Tari Eason was much better than Jabari Smith this season. Not a hard argument to make. Really easy. Is he a better prospect? No. Could he be better than him next season? Maybe. It's up in the air. Like I'm not, I'm not ready to rule that either way. But he was a very hot topic amongst fantasy people basically all season. Let's go to KJ Martin, who... Played a pretty strong role most of the season when Jason Tate was out there. Eric Gordon went, and he was a must-roster player end of the season. 174th only in category leagues. 122nd on totals because he played every game. Points leagues, 163rd. Wasn't drafted anywhere. He's only 22. He's only 22 for a guy that's been around for a while. 28 minutes a game. 16 usage. Very low usage. He averaged 13 points, half or 0.83s, 5.5 rebounds. One and a half assists, 0.5 steals, 0.4 blocks. Pretty low defensive numbers. But part of his appeal was insane finishing, 57% shooting. 32 from the field and bad free throws. So while he did improve, well, he did put up some strong numbers. I'm a little worried about, again, where his future lies. The advanced stuff is not particularly strong. His EPM's okay, negative 1.2. Darko hates him. LeBron hates him. 15th percentile compared to starters. Um, estimated wins plus 2.7, but Darko, again, which tries to project stuff going forward, there's some okay numbers there, but the trend of him moving forward is not particularly good. And that is a worrying sign for a 22-year-old who was put into the best position he's been in his career. And again, on the surface, looked like he put up okay numbers, but if we're looking to the future for him, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be loving it as a guy that's going to get significantly better from here. You can see the trade deadline stuff, how there was a clear spike in minutes and production, and he sort of hovered at a consistent level throughout the end of the year, like around the 110th sort of player, averaging, what did he average fantasy points-wise towards the end there? Like, yeah, we're talking 30, 35 fantasy points towards the end of the season, yeah, over the second half post-All-Star, pretty, pretty strong. But again, is that something that I care about moving forward? Not particularly. I think that this is a very clear position to be upgraded from, whether that is Eason taking over, whether that is Brandon Miller coming in, whether that is playing Amon Thompson, who is a point guard, but also small forward size body with Jalen Green playing up a little bit. 
I don't know. All their guys are like Porter's a bigger point guard. Thompson would be a bigger point guard. Scoot's the only one who's not. But yeah, either Thompson there, um, Brandon Miller in that spot as well. So then they've got to pick six is Jarris Walker. Would he could he play the three at all? Maybe, maybe he's a better option than KJ Martin as well. So I think things are pretty precarious uh, for KJ. Nothing really to see, I think, from that uh, EPM graph. Let's go to the wild thing, Jason Tate. Even the wild thing's gone well. I can't do much about that. His season was pretty ruined by ankle problems, but I'm not going to sit here and take a huge victory lap, but I had no interest in drafting this bloke whatsoever. 142nd in ADP. He was drafted in 28% of leagues. He finished 246, and I was on record saying that I didn't like the contract they gave him. I don't think he's an NBA starter at all. And he wasn't even a starter on a bad team. He, The shooting is a real problem. He shot 28% from three, 73 from the line. He averaged nine points, four rebounds, almost three assists. The value that he had for this team a couple of years ago is he just came in as an older player, a bit more stable, and basically played as a point guard. But no real team wants to play Jay Sean Tate as a point guard. He is a guy who played, what, 22 minutes, usage of 19%, average nine, four, and three. Defensive numbers were way down. Shooting was down. The fantasy ranks are, are bad. He barely played. He's 27. He'll be 28 at the start of next season. His advanced numbers were okay. Like they weren't, they weren't dreadful. Midpoint in EPM, midpoint in estimated wins, a bit below mid in Darko, very low for LeBron, negative 1.39, 14th percentile for starters. And then that graph, 27 years of age, and you see some of the decline coming there for the wild thing already. And I think that we had that little spike from him as a rookie, to older rookie. I, I don't think there's really much there for him, to be honest. The fantasy points graph doesn't really tell us a huge amount. It, just, it tells you he missed a lot of time. We knew that. And this is not a guy that we should have any real dynasty um, strong thoughts on or value moving forward. Now, what is interesting is this EPM graph. He missed a lot of time at the start of the season. And then he started to play. And pretty rough, pretty rough. And then had a very interesting sort of spike up around this March type area. That was interesting. I don't really care that much. I don't think there's anything to take from it. I don't think that there is any value in Jay Sean Tate moving forward. And yeah, we've got Eason, we've got Martin, we've got a rookie coming in, we've got two top 20 picks coming in. Yeah. If he's out of the rotation, don't be shocked. Or traded or whatever. I don't think he's I don't think he's a strong player we need to care about too much. Ushman Garuba. Um, I think that he was dicked over a little bit this season, not as much as Shangun, but the fact that they would go to other options apart from Garuba as the, as the backup center was pretty pretty weird to me. It's his second season. He finished 319th in category leagues, 357th in points leagues, never drafted. That's fine. He's still only 21. He came into the league really, really young. 75 games, 13 minutes, 10% usage, averaged three points a game with four rebounds. Now, he is a horribly low usage player, a horrible offensive guy. Defensively, I think he's okay. I think he's a pretty strong defensive player. But he is so, so limited offensively that I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure how much you can play him. But, and even his like advanced EPM defensive metric, Negative 0.5, 45th percentile. Not strong enough to justify him being out there. So while I think he's a better option than Bruno Fernando, 
I was probably a little bit disappointed that he didn't take bigger steps forward this season, um, Garib. And as you can see, a nice little jump there in his Darko projections, and then Darko started to sour on him and sort of pushing him down now to being yeah, around a zero Darko, which again is like league average, and I think it's probably going to drop under that. His fantasy points graph tells us nothing because he's never going to be a fantasy points producer. And then on his EPM, a nice little spike here, but lost a little bit of ground towards the end of the season. And I'm just, I thought he could be a... A quite an impactful defensive player, and he is good defensively, but not good enough to just like he's not. His offense is worse PJ Tucker, and his defense is worse than PJ Tucker's. And if you're going to have worse offense than PJ Tucker, you need to be a better defender than PJ Tucker, or you need to profile to become a better defender than PJ Tucker. And I'm not really sure we're getting there with him. Bit disappointed with Josh Christopher as well this season. Disappointed with plenty of the Rockets players. Christopher's a guy that I liked. Thought he showed some flashes as a rookie, but he just basically didn't play. 390th in category leagues and points leagues, never drafted. He's still only 21. He had a 22 usage. He played 64 games, but 12 minutes. He averaged six points, an assist, half a steal. Half a steal in 12 minutes is good. That's that's interesting. Defensive stuff, but 24% from three. That's a real worry. The advanced stuff, hates him. Hated him. Eighth percentile Darko. Second percentile estimated wins. Oh, sorry, uh, eighth percentile EPM, sorry. 450th in Darko. Third percentile LeBron against starters. No real, like, that graph, the Darko graph doesn't really tell us, oh, there's some encouraging signs. The defensive stuff is. The overall field goal percentage is okay, but you got to hit threes, mate. The Even the assist rate is probably not, or it's nowhere near high enough. You need to do more distributing. Thought it was a opportunity for him. Yes, it's hard with Porter and it's hard with Jalen Green, but he should have theoretically been able to establish himself as a 20 minute a night sixth man and he couldn't do it. And that's a real problem. He did, like he was, look at the start of that graph, how shit he was to start the season. Did start to improve towards the end and had a couple of interesting games you know, when things were going wild towards the end of the season. So there was, I guess, some level of encouragement, but overall, I would say it's a pretty disappointing season from Josh Christopher. Not a lot there to see on that EPM graph as well. Just always constantly hovering. No real big improvements as the season went on. And that's that's somewhat of a red flag. The last person we're going to talk about in detail is their other first-round rookie, Ty Ty Washington, guard out of Kentucky, who came in as an older rookie. He's already 21. Now, we always go, oh, Kentucky guard. What can they do better in the NBA? Well, the answer for Ty Ty was, ooh, not much. Now, I still have some faith in Ty Ty Washington. I'm not ruling him out at all. I thought it was pretty silly that Dacia Nix, even though Nix is still a younger player, I thought it was pretty silly that Nix was getting consistent reps over Washington because I thought Washington, despite having some struggles, played better than Nix. But in saying that, Washington's older than Nix. He's like two months older. And I'm not going to do a full dive into Dacia Nix. I don't really think there's much to talk about with him. But yeah, Ty Ty, 458th in categories, 399th in points. There's not much there. Four points a game, one and a half assists in 14 minutes, 17 usage, 31 games. Shot 24 from three, 36 from the field, 56 from the line. That is horrific, horrific stuff. And we had some concerns about his shooting heading in, and he had nothing to dispel them. He wasn't out here putting up big defensive numbers. He wasn't out here putting up great distribution numbers. So that 1.5 assists in 14 minutes is not bad. Actually, you know what? It is bad. It's shit out. He should do more than that. And the advanced stuff, everything hates him. 466th in Darko. Third percentile EPM, negative 6.1. That's an unbelievably low number. Estimated wins negative 0.9 despite playing so few minutes. And that Darko graph, 
Started out okay, and then it's like, oh, yeah, look, we have very little faith in you moving forward. The fantasy points graph, you can see how sporadic his playing time was. I'm sure that's a part of it. He had some strong games in the G League, but that doesn't always translate across. And then the EPM graph, it started out okay, for sure. This is when I was like, really, hey, why are we playing Knicks over him? I thought Washington was doing all right. And then he got a bit of a role. He struggled a bit. Had some moments. I'm not ruling him out. He's a second-year player. Kentucky pedigree. There's a few flashes there, but... He is older than Dacia Nix. He is older than Jalen Green. He is older than all these guys. He was an older rookie coming in despite being a freshman. And that is that is a level of concern where he where we go with him moving forward. The other players on this team that I'm not really going to talk about here, Nix, again, four points for him, 2.3 assists, but shooting, huge problem. Can't shoot at all. Frank Kaminsky, Majanovic, Darius Days, Trevor Hudgens, the two two-way guys. They're both 24 years old. I don't really see any future for those players there. That's why we're not going to go into them in detail. Let's get a question, though, that you guys or one of you guys did send through. And it comes from Mediocrities117. Do you view Kevin Porter Jr. as a key piece or key part of the rotation next year? If so, what are your expectations as far as production with a new coach in place? Good question. Is he a key part of the rotation? Yes, he's a key part of the rotation. But what does that mean? Is he in their top seven players? Undoubtedly, yes. So much of this is going to depend, though. Does James Harden come or does Scoot get drafted? So there are two very, very possible scenarios here that would have Porter in real trouble as a starting caliber player. As I said, I went into this exercise going, well, I'm pretty down on Porter. He put up some numbers, but is he actually a good player? And then all his advanced numbers were like, oh, he's actually profiled as the best player on this team. Equal with Shangun, which is a surprise to me. So I and, and his trajectory was moving upwards, which was very very interesting. But if you do get Scoot, if you do get Harden, you can't justify, I don't think, playing Porter over them. Even like I'd think they'd play him over Armand Thompson, even though I think Thompson is obviously way more athletic, better defensive profile. Um, I think he'd still play Porter over him. But despite some of my positives early on talking about Kevin Porter, about you know, sort of reframing the narrative of my thoughts on him based on some of those advanced numbers and his overall production. I'm still not sure that when we get back to this in three years' time, that he is a starting player. I don't think he is. Like Way more faith in Jalen Green being that. Actually, more faith in Shingun being that. More faith in Jabari Smith continuing to be that. Less faith in Kevin Porter. Positive signs, for sure. But there are just too many too many noises, too many things that can happen here that are going to push him, I think, into a lower role. We'll get more of an idea about what the hell to make of Kevin Porter once we see free agency and the draft is done by then and figure out where he fits in that role. But there are quite a few negative indicators just from a personnel, how is this team viewing him perspective? Is there another team where he would easily slot in as the starter? Yeah, like the Spurs, sure. But many others? I'm not sure. Not the the heat over Kyle Lowry, Gabe Vincent, yeah, absolutely. So I wouldn't rule it out. I think he's likely to being a starter on the Rockets is low as we move forward. But yeah, some encouraging signs for him for sure. But I I think there's a decent chance that next season some of Porter's numbers drop off. And that will do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast: Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. We're gonna do the Spurs tomorrow. And we're going to do another... I don't know who else we're doing. 
the other one? The Hornets. Yeah, the Hornets is the other one for this week. So Spurs and Hornets coming this week as well, guys. Um, follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Odyssey. I don't know if I said that already. If you're on YouTube, thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. <laughs>